0: Welcome to Charting the Course, a podcast from Full Sail Capital, dedicated to providing you with insights, assurance, and confidence to grow and manage generational wealth. Full Sail Capital is a fiduciary registered investment advisor managing more than $1.5 billion with a focus on integrity, competency, and transparency.
1: All right. Well, this week we are back with a second interview that is part of our newly released Anchored series. just a reminder that this Anchored series is going to specifically focus on the real estate asset class. Therefore, Scott Cravens, with his background, his expertise, he's pretty much always going to join me on these conversations, and that's no different today. So he sits down with me, and today we're joined by two gentlemen, Ethan Slavin and Brett Price. Ethan is a managing partner at Creek Commercial Realty here in Oklahoma City, and Brett Price, he's a senior managing director at Newmark Robinson Park here in Oklahoma City. These two were incredible, generous with their time. We really, really appreciate them coming in and sitting down and sharing their expertise. I know you enjoy our conversation. If you have any feedback from me, as always, please let me know. But I hope you enjoy. Brett, Ethan, thank you so much for joining us today. We'll start out with some introductions here. I want you to tell me a little bit about yourselves, some of your background in the real estate world, the brokerage world, maybe before that, how you got into it. Uh, but let's spend a little bit of time here telling everybody a little bit about yourselves. Ethan, I'll let you go first.
2: All right. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Ethan Slavin, so I started my career with JAH Realty actually 22 years ago today. Been a good run. My partner and I, Tyler Huxley, went out on our own to start Creek CRE in July of 18, so going on four years now. With that, I've mainly focused on the retail sector. That's my past and what I focus on today. Our brokerage does a little bit of everything Retail, office, industrial, land, everything but multifamily. Focused on buy, sell, and lease. Okay. Uh, Oklahoma City resident, longtime resident, born and raised in Oklahoma. Okay. Yep. Went to Oklahoma State, and then Oklahoma City area since yeah. probably '95. Great.
3: Is that when you joined JH? Was '95?
2: It was 2000. 2000. Okay. So I I was a small business owner prior to that. Got it.
3: Okay.
0: Brett, what about you? Born and raised out in Yukon, Oklahoma. Okay. Went down to the University of Oklahoma. Oh, and then oh. came right back. So I've got <laughs> a really small circle. Uh, been here my whole life. Been in the business about 17 years. I was actually introduced to Tim Strange by my best friend in college. Right as I was about to graduate, I actually started working for Tim the day after I graduated. He's an okay guy. Yeah, yeah. He he was actually selling First National Center at the time. So the first oh, wow. deal I ever worked on was First National Center. My job was to abstract all the leases. You know, Abstracted, slight exaggeration, but it felt like 3,000. Office leases, (laughs) state tenants, 200 square feet apiece. And that was my first two months in the business. And he really uh, hired me on a temp basis. And after that, he offered me the industrial side of the business. He was an office broker, but also on the industrial side of Sperry Van Ness at the time. So I picked up and ran with it. So I've been an industrial broker. It's my sole practice uh, for 17 years now. I lead a team of four. uh, Myself, my partner, Chris Davis here in Oklahoma City and Carly Harper. And then we have Collier Emigrant, who heads up our Tulsa office. Great. So yeah, so we're at Newmark now. Um, We crossed over a billion dollars in transactions last year. So, you know, that's a credit to the market here has been great. We've been fortunate to have some really great clients and and we've been blessed. That's awesome.
1: Scott, what did they leave out? And then give us a little bit remind some of our listeners of of your real estate exposure, uh, because we've talked about it a little bit, but what did they leave out and then give a little bit of your real estate specific background?
3: Sure. Brett, just FYI, you're not a mixed company here. You got three Aggies at the table, so.
0: (laughs) I'm I'm outnumbered. You are (laughs) (laughs) outnumbered for
3: maybe the first time in your life, so welcome. I thought when we started talking about ways to help uh, our clients and friends be more introduced and versed in the real estate asset class, One of the things that you're going to do if you engage in the asset class is you're going to come into contact with brokers. And uh, brokers are, in Oklahoma, they represent people on a transactional basis. So they don't represent the individual, they represent uh, the deal, whether that's a lease transaction or a sales transaction. And so I immediately thought of both Ethan and Brett uh, because of uh, my deep admiration for their knowledge and their respective areas of expertise, which they mentioned. But Ethan and I have worked together since he came out uh, to Creek. I mean, really, we started working together in 2018 when you you came out. I was introduced to Ethan through a mutual friend of ours, and uh, he and Tyler uh, have worked on listings for me personally and for clients, particularly things that honestly need advocates. I think Ethan is a student of the business. I respect him because he really comes from an owner's mentality. He worked, as he said, for JH Realty, which is a very large, privately held kind of real estate investment company uh, based out of Texas, right? JH is based in Texas. I'd say now,
2: but they started here.
3: They started here, yeah. but that but now that's where they're, you, they it's would where consider- the principals are. Yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. they moved. Yeah. yeah. Well, at any rate, uh, and so when you have an owner's mentality, you just approach problems differently and it's given us a way to connect that I've really appreciated. And, and again, I just really respect him for the way he approaches it. It is very unique. Brett and I have known each other a long time. It's been a number of years, but he and I have worked together on countless things, transactions over the years. Some land, uh, we've worked on some industrial transactions together. Brett is hands down the most knowledgeable person that I am I know in our market today on the industrial real estate side. He is it's, it's all he does. The thing I respect the most about Brett is he limits his practice. To what he knows the best, uh, which is industrial brokerage. And I never feel like I'm referring a client to him who essentially would ultimately be competing with them. And that's a big problem in the brokerage business, quite candidly, is that a lot of folks are also in the real estate business. So they own buildings and you always wonder whether they're repping you or they're repping, you know, their building and yours sort of. And um, I've never felt that way with Brett. Uh, he's always been really engaging. And it's a testament to his, I think, his character. Same thing with Ethan. So these guys are great folks to have here as experts to help guide us in our conversation.
1: That's great. And, and give me a little bit of background. You still are, You still have some real estate exposure, still involved. You always yep. will probably be involved to some extent.
3: Yep. So my background on the business, as I've said on previous podcasts, is I started picking up cigarette butts in parking lots my grandfather was in the business and uh, did some developments uh, in Oklahoma. And so I've got kind of a hodgepodge of random assets that include some industrial buildings, little office buildings, little random retail buildings. It's kind of Frankenstein real estate, but it is productive. And both Ethan and Brett have played a huge role in in helping me keep those things productive over the years.
1: Okay. So let's let's dive in here a little bit and let's start looking at what it is exactly you guys do on a day-to-day basis and give us some insight here. So let's look at the sales transaction standpoint, both of you from the industrial side, the retail side, on that sales side, then we can discuss some of the lease transaction as well. But what are some of the most common mistakes, common misconceptions? What do you see clients or prospective clients do wrong most commonly on a the, on the sell transaction side?
0: Yeah, sure. Most often, especially somebody that um, may, this may be their first transaction or maybe they just don't do it a while, they overnegotiate. You know, I've seen a lot of people walk away from multi-million dollar transactions over a thousand dollar survey expense. You know, they, they trip over dollars to pick up pennies a lot of times. Uh, and they miss the ultimate goal which is, you know, you have a need, whatever kind. You either have a business or you have money that you need to invest. Right. And more times than not, I, I get calls from people and say, you know what, I should have bought that building. I get those calls a lot more than I'm so glad I didn't buy that building. You know, people just, they get caught up in the minutiae and the small things. And I think they miss the bigger picture sometimes.
3: I'm guilty of that. Everybody who's an investor of real estate, I think at some point or there's guilty of that. 2010-12 was probably the best buying opportunity I mean that maybe I'll ever see. Quite candidly, I don't know that Oklahoma City will ever revert back to fifty dollar a foot buildings. And I miss some deals because in those times when it's flush, you get a little. You do tend to get a little greedy, and you think, "Well, I can overnegotiate this because there'll be another deal right behind it." Take it from me because I've made that mistake multiple times. That's the wrong attitude to have. That's a hundred percent right, Brett. I agree with that. Would you add anything, Ethan? I would add.
2: I would. I would agree. Getting greedy is, you know, a, a big problem. You know, a dollar today is worth more than a dollar tomorrow. So you. Time is of the essence when you're doing these things. You got to let the experts be the experts and not try to overanalyze things a lot of times as well.
0: Yeah, we spend a lot of our time just trying to educate people about the market. It's always moving. And when it's moving this fast, it's tough to say, no, that maybe is not true. But, you know, that's what we talked about. That's why we're experts in what we do. That's why we solely focus on what we do. I would say one other thing we see sometimes is people still sometimes get this mentality that, I only win if the other side loses. Right. And I think that's a mistake. Mm. In my opinion, we only win if the deal gets closed, quite honestly. Yep. And sometimes that's a win-win for both parties. And there's nothing wrong with that.
3: Yeah. Well, and people have different motivations for being on either side of those transactions. You know, I've looked at transactions before and thought, well, man, that guy's an idiot. Right. But most of the time you realize when you look at that that they're just coming at it from two different economic angles. The classic example of that is, you know, the guy who's selling his building because he sold his business. But the guy who's buying it is buying it for investment purposes or vice versa. Those are two totally different economic frameworks. And so the transaction is going to look and feel differently from both sides of that. If you were to analyze one side, you may not totally understand it. But when you see it from both sides, you know, oh well, that deal makes sense. Like both both people got a an okay deal,
2: right? And that's a great point. I mean, if you're marketing to a owner user versus an investor, I mean that's a totally different buyer like you've mentioned and the brokers you know, should be able to advise the client, hey, if you want this kind of price, we need to focus on an owner user. We just had an example like that with a client was looking to fill a second floor of an office medical building and we told him it's, it's worth more empty. But in his mind, it was worth more full. Mm-hmm. But at the rate that he was going to lease it for, it, it wasn't true because of today's market with the low rates, a, a user would have paid more than an investor would for that property.
3: Yeah, that's a good example of not listening. It's hard for people because a lot of times you're entering into a brokerage transaction with somebody you don't necessarily have a relationship with for the first time, especially owner users, especially true. And developing that trust and that rapport is really important. It it gets tricky because uh, people recognize that the motivation is to close the transaction to your point. That's why you have to hire people that are really knowledgeable and can give you information to help you make decisions. But as Brett alluded to, you've got to trust the expert you hire to help guide you through a transaction because they're seeing it every day, not only in the transaction you're looking at, but in the 10 deals they did last week, and they're going to see 10 deals next week. And that's what you've got to keep in mind as somebody who's trying to hire a real estate broker is you're looking for that spectrum of knowledge they can bring to bear for you before you make a decision for yourself.
0: And I think you just touched on really the overarching thing for me today is find the expert build a relationship.
1: Those relationships are really important. Agreed. Yeah. We seem to say that a lot in our office. Yeah, we do. So
0: we tend to agree with that.
3: Let's talk about the lease side. Yeah. Did you? So jump in there. Is there anything you'd add differently to that?
0: The common mistake we see on the leasing side is just misjudging the timing of the transaction. And that could be either starting too early or even too late. The one we deal with most common is too late. You know, you, we get a call and we say, hey, we need space in 30 days. And that's just not, you know, that's not realistic. But it could be this same situation on the other side. You know, somebody calls and said, hey, I need space in 18 months. A lot of things are going to happen in 18 months. And you can't really ask somebody to hold their building off the market until you're ready to move in in 18 months. So it's not a bad idea to start engaging a broker, but you got to have realistic expectations about the timing of the process.
2: Yeah, I think from a leasing standpoint, the most important thing and what people make mistakes on is the document itself. You live with a lease for three, five, 10, 15, 20 years, it's much different than a sales transaction. You get your PSA, You obviously there's some things to carry over, but you close, you're done. That lease agreement stays with you for a long time. So from a landlord standpoint, having a really solid, good document is extremely important. From a tenant standpoint, you should probably know what's in there. We'd all be shocked, I think, that how many people don't know what's in the lease. So I think the document itself, people make tons of mistakes using bad documents Oh, and they a lot of times a client or a landlord that we start working with are doing it themselves or have a two page lease. And we're like, no, that's, <laughs> that's not going to work.
3: I, I have had totally clients agree. tell me, Hey, I got, I'm, I'm good. I got this lease from Google. Yeah. And I, I mean, the attorney in me just blows up. I can't take that. So.
0: And sometimes we're working on a transaction with somebody that we haven't worked with before, or maybe doesn't do a lot of these. They ask us, To review the lease and and really play attorney, and that's something we just refuse to do, quite honestly, because there are a lot of things in there. We're not an attorney; that's how we get sued, unfortunately. We all try to try to stay away from that, but like you said, you live with that document
2: for a long time.
0: Yeah, Yeah.
3: I could tell a ton of stories on fronts like that. To take your point first, Brett, that's what I was going to relay. The thing that I get so frustrated about with clients is, and I say that affectionately, of course, is that. When they say, I'm going to lease this space, I say, well, it's a shell. I know. I don't want to do anything with it until I have a tenant. Like, you got a chicken or an egg problem. And, you know, industrial is a little different, I think, to some extent. But on the retail side of things, you've got to deliver a space where somebody from a white box position, which white box just quickly means that you've delivered to the space electrical mechanical you have a finished ceiling you have textured walls the flooring is ready for your preferred application wood carpet tile and you're ready to paint the walls that's a, and it, and you've got at least 180 bathroom that's considered white box is I leave anything out from that nope. you guys are that okay and from that position you are t minus 60 days from being able to occupy I say that, 90. yeah, maybe now 90. Yeah, yeah. who knows, right? <laughs> Depends on what kind of flooring you pick these days. But at any rate, it, you've got a short runway. And that, to Brett's point, when tenants get out in the marketplace and they start looking, especially on the smaller side, more so than the bigger side, these tenants, when they start looking, they need it now. And so as a landlord, if you failed to take the risk to get a space to a point where it can be delivered in 30, 60 days, what you've done is you've narrowed the net fish you can catch. People are going to come through and go, oh, we don't have time for this to get built out. Sorry, we got to move on. So you've limited yourself, but owners time and time again, particularly the inexperienced are so reluctant to spend the money, invest the money to bring a space to a condition where it can be finished and closed out to a tenant specifications in 30 to 90 days is reasonable. The shorter runway you have, the more likely you are to land a transaction.
0: And when you walk into spaces, perception still matters. So just paint the space. You know, you're going to spend whatever, a couple hundred thousand dollars, but you might lease your space a month earlier. So think about the income that you're going to get by leasing it earlier. And that is, especially in industrial, something we struggled with for a long time. People didn't want to go in because they said, oh, somebody might want to move a wall. But if you walk into a nice, clean space and it feels good, you're more likely to gravitate towards that space. Feels so go, good. Smells good. Yeah. Go yeah. in and clean it up. I guarantee you're going to lease the space sooner than if you just let it sit.
3: Uh, that has absolutely been my experience. I'm again, I don't mind eating my own, you know, learned wisdom there. I made that mistake early. I wouldn't, you know, I didn't want to invest in spaces and you think people will just lease it. You're right. Then they want to over negotiate with you because it's an older space. They, you know, you lose tenants because you got too much time. It just finish the space, make it. You think that tenant
2: finish out might be worth something to someone else, and ninety percent of the time you end up demoing it out anyway.
3: Yeah, literally. Uh, The other thing I would add to Ethan's point, just in terms of you know lease transactions, the lease aspect of that cannot be understated. So first thing, hire an attorney. For clients, I do not act as an attorney. I refer that out. I have, we have lots of great people we can refer to that are very experienced in this area that can assist uh, and that's, but we always recommend it. And not hiring attorney is a $2,000 bill you saved that could cost you a fortune. And I'll just give one short story there. Ethan and I were involved in a transaction uh, about a year ago where a tenant misrepresented what they were going to need from a parking standpoint. My lease specifically outlines that the landlord is in control of the common area parking space and can designate parking accordingly, including limiting the parking of either tenant in an effort to prevent somebody from essentially over allocating parking to their staff, to their guests, vendors, et cetera. And if you have sites with limited parking, this is something, if you're inexperienced, you're never gonna think of this. You're not gonna see this coming, but I've lived it, so I've done it. And, And in my lease form, it's included. Well, the tenant takes possession, and about three weeks later, we start getting calls from the adjoining tenant saying, we don't have any place to park. And I drive over there, and the entire street, not only is the parking lot full, but the entire street in front of the building is lined on both sides with cars. So in 2,000 square feet, this tenant has gone from having seven parking spots to, at one point, there were 30 cars parked up and down both sides of the street. Static parking, just sitting there all day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I wound up having to evict the tenant um, after a protracted dispute over, uh, you know, their use of the parking. We evicted them. But the lease protected me. It did its job. And that's exactly what you want a lease to do. And those details are the things much like an experienced broker that an experienced real estate transactional attorney can help advise you on because they've seen lots of deals in lots of buildings, and they know about where those grenades are going to come from, and you and you probably don't. So hire an attorney. There you go.
0: And what you said is really hire an attorney that's experienced in real estate transactions. I For mean, it's just sure. like everything else. I mean, within the brokerage industry, there's brokers that specialize in retail, industrial. Find an attorney that specializes in uh, real estate as well. A hundred percent contract
3: agree. real estate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, don't hire your divorce attorney to negotiate <laughs> right. your lease right. agreement. Right. Yeah.
0: All right, let's
1: look at another aspect of this. First of all, I want to look at it from your point of view when you're looking at a new client, because one thing we talk about a lot around here is when when a new prospect calls and we want to talk to them or they're interested in learning about us, we are also interviewing and learning about them, making sure it's a right fit, because the worst thing that we can do is bring on a client that's a terrible fit and it's just not going to be a good relationship. What do you guys look for in a new client in your respective spaces that make them a good fit? What do you do before you decide to take them on? What's kind of your
2: vetting process, if you will? As a new brokerage company, we, we look for all new clients, really. But <laughs> but we're getting better at, at uh, making sure they are a good fit. Right. And, and with that is realistic ex- expectations. I mean, a client has to, if they have a 2,000-square-foot space for lease and want 40 bucks a foot, then I probably shouldn't take that on because it's not realistic. It's worth $10 a foot.
3: Not in Oklahoma City, anyway. Yes,
2: yep. correct. If we're in Dallas or somewhere else maybe but so realistic expectations and also i'm having an issue literally right now with a client that can't perform Mm. you know i didn't really vet them out they said yeah i want to sell the building no now i want to lease the building i want to sell the building well i'll sell it if it's twice what it's worth and we're like well we'll just lease it then obviously and the client doesn't have the money to do a lease transaction so you know vetting them out as far as like their wherewithal on, on what they want to do is, is important because it's, yeah. Yeah. Wasting our time, wasting their time, wasting the client's time. You're wasting everybody's time if you can't perform. Right. Knowing, knowing that upfront. And
3: just real quickly, that, that is so true. Remember if you're going to engage in a real estate transaction, if you're a building owner and you're thinking about leasing it, you are going to have a lot of upfront costs. Tenant improvements, repairs, lease commissions, other transactional costs. There's a lot there that you have to absorb on the front end that you recoup over the life of the lease, but are front end expenses. And you have to write that check up front. That's just the way the business works. So, you know, when the transaction is consummated and the tenant takes possession, you're going to owe seven years, 10 years, five years, whatever it is, of lease commission up front. You need to do that math. And make sure that you're financially prepared for that. Because it's, it's a big
2: number a lot of times. Because what your terms on your financing or what you have to spend on an old HVAC doesn't change the market rent. Market nope. rent is market rent.
3: Well, market rent is under the expectation that you have a working HVAC. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, they, and the
2: market rent doesn't care that you did a 10-year a term instead of a 20-year AM. So, yep. and you're barely going to break even on this deal. Yeah. What would you add,
0: Brett? The same you know, this is a relationship. It really is. There's going to be ups and downs in every transaction. As easy as a transaction is, and I'm not sure we get any easy ones anymore, but there's always going to be ups and downs. So I want to know that, you know, somebody is going to be able to work through those issues. We're going to be able to work through them together. At the end of the day, you know, we have relationships with other people in the market. So our reputation and relationships are also very important to us. And our client is part of our reputation. It's an interview process, and you absolutely should interview brokers. Ask them questions, but every broker should do the same.
1: Let's go there then for a second. As people begin to think about this whole process you guys are laying out, what are things that they need to start thinking about? What are questions they need to ask when they are choosing that broker? So let's flip it around. What questions do you enjoy getting asked? What questions do you wish you got asked? For all three of you, when you're looking at a new client or, Scott, when people ask you real estate questions and you're recommending they go find that broker, What are some things they should be asking?
0: Know what you need. Know what you want. And then after that, I I think it naturally narrows itself down from there. Because as we talked about, you really need to find an expert in whatever field you're looking for, whether it's retail, multifamily, industrial. Within each product type in Oklahoma City, there's probably 10 to 15 brokers that truly specialize in every product type. So that you just narrow it down right there. Ask for referrals. Look them up. Do research on them. Do interview them. uh, Do expect them to interview you. You want to look for somebody who's active in the space. The market changes very quickly. So you want to know that that person is engaged 100% all time. It always kind of cracks me up when people get into real estate and they say, I'm going to do this (laughs) part-time. You can't. Yeah. You've got to be in it. You've got to be living it every day.
2: List your mom's house this weekend.
0: And that goes something that don't hire a residential broker to work on your commercial transaction. Please. And I don't mean that with any disrespect. No, I've never actually purchased or, or sold a home. But if I do that, I'm going to hire a residential broker. I'm not going to do that myself. Right. That's not my specialty. Go hire the specialist. Do not do not hire a residential person for your, for your commercial transaction.
3: Well, that's no different than hiring your divorce attorney to do your real estate exactly. transaction or vice
0: versa. Go yeah. find the specialist. Yeah. Whatever you're doing, find the specialist in yeah. that
3: field. I'll be this blunt because these guys can't. If a residential broker is trying to represent you in a commercial transaction, they're not qualified to do it. There's too many things that they would not see, not know, not understand to be able to competently represent you in a transaction. To Brett's point, and he's, he said it himself, just the same way he wouldn't feel competent to represent himself in a residential transaction. So it's not about one being smarter than the other. It's about staying in your lane. And I will say there are a lot of brokers out there who don't do that, uh, that don't stay in their lane uh, and they try to be all things to all people. And that's something that, that people should watch out for very carefully. To make sure that they're hiring somebody that we talked about earlier, we said this earlier, is competent in their area of expertise. So yeah, If
0: somebody calls me with a retail transaction, I'm going to refer to somebody in, in retail. Hopefully yes. Yeah, right. And in <laughs> the same way, even I've referred deals to other industrial brokers that I thought were better suited for a transaction. Yeah. Again, just focus on the specialty, do your homework, and it'll be a much smoother transaction.
2: And, and back to your original question, if someone doesn't ask questions, you should be a little bit concerned, right? Oh, that's a good point. Great point like Brett said, they should ask, okay, do you sell apartments? I'm like, no, I've I've never sold one in my life. So obviously I wouldn't be the right fit for that Mm -hmm. if that's what they're wanting to sell, an apartment complex. So they just say, hey, someone said you're a broker. Can you list this? And then we start digging into it. So they should ask a lot of questions themselves, find the expert like was mentioned earlier.
3: One question I always ask people if I'm getting to know them or I'm hiring a, a broker for a client is, What other listings do you have in the area uh, or within the market, and do you have an ownership interest in any of those properties? That is the question that doesn't get asked. It should get asked because it at least allows you to engage. The broker has an obligation to share with you if they have an ownership interest in a deal they're working on, a legal obligation. And if you ask that question, it at least allows the conflicts discussion to take place so you can get comfortable that you know it. And it's just a great accountability question. So that's what I would add.
0: To tackle on the back of the side of that, once you do your homework and you hire a broker, you're a team. That's mm-hmm. a relationship now. Mm-hmm. The, one of the worst things you could do is go out and then continue to talk to other brokers. The market gets confused. Nobody knows who's working on what. And before long, nobody's going to be working for you. Agreed. And be prepared to talk about some things that, be upfront. tell us everything. What's going on with the business? What What is your financial position? These are very important to the overall transaction. It helps us help Mm -hmm. you better.
1: I agree with all that. Any other counterproductive things that people do or any other conflicts that somebody should be kind of leery of or
2: ways to identify those conflicts? Piggybacking on what Brett said, you know, a client that puts his own number up in a window that on a listing that you have that you're trying to lease, it confuses the market, right? Like, I get it. You're vested. that your money. You're vested in that deal. You want that space lease, but let us, the experts, do the work. If you have your sign up there and he puts his number on there and the market's confused, like, who do I call? And then he calls him and it's him or her or whoever. It's, it's just super confusing. There needs to be one person marketing your property.
0: And, and it goes back to the relationships. And you may think this is the only transaction you're going to do. But realistically, if you're leasing a space, your lease is going to expire at some point. Mm-hmm. Don't want a bad reputation within the market. If you're buying or selling a building, you may grow. You may need to sell the building at some point. It's not worth ruining your reputation. Just do your homework, pick the right
2: team, and, and stick with them. We recently had a client reach out to us that I asked AJ to run with, one of my colleagues, and helped them find a space. He spent, I don't know, two weeks, three weeks looking for a space for him. We had a relationship with him in another space. They, at that point, start calling around themselves and cut AJ out of a deal. Well, guess what? Their lease is coming up in our center next month. <laughs> I'm like, wow. Obviously, we would only do what's right and make sure if the landlord wants to keep them. But that's a relationship you just burned with us that, you know, for no reason, just going right. around. You, you picked us to help represent you, and then you start doing stuff on your own.
3: Industries are very small towns. They're, you know, they're all small towns, and industries within them are just, everybody knows it's small communities. Of all the people who do industrial work in Oklahoma City, Brett, how many of those people do you see on a quarterly basis? A vast majority.
0: Yeah, I mean it's a very. I mean, in Oklahoma City itself is a big small
3: town. That's what I mean. It's. Yeah. A, it, I tell people it's the biggest small town in the world. It doesn't take long for an action you did to Ethan's point, and then that's getting shared at the next showing because it's frustration. And the next thing you know, you can't figure out why nobody wants to rep your deal. It's pretty straightforward. And
0: keep in mind, brokers talk. I mean, that's our job is to know what's going on in the market, not only what we're doing. You can never represent every transaction. You have to know what other brokers and other landlords are doing. Right. And reputations travel in those circles. Should we get some stories? While
1: you guys are thinking about stories, let's do a little bit on just current market, like what you're seeing currently in the market in either of your spaces, but We've talked about it here almost ad nauseum as far as what the interest rates are doing and inflation, but how is it impacting your specific spaces? What are you seeing advice or interesting facts that you can provide with that kind of stuff?
0: Construction prices are still going up. Interest rates are going up. That means lease rates are going to continue to go up. I don't see that quite leveling off yet. Um, We are definitely in the development curve of the cycle. Everything does cycle. It'll be interesting to me to see how everything cools off. Do construction prices start to go down or is this the new normal? Mm-hmm. Do lease rates start to go down or or is this the new normal? Um, I don't think we're overbuilt, but everything cycles. Trying to time the market is always a mistake in my opinion. If you have a need, you need to go you know, try to figure it out. But there's still a lot of capital out there as well. Mm-hmm. So transactions are still going to take place. Yeah. They might look a little different. And that's where it goes back. Just find a specialist that's up to date on what what's going on in the market right now
3: yeah interest rates and construction costs are an interesting part of the decision-making calculus in real estate now because for owner users the prospect of leasing is looking pretty attractive at least at this point as opposed to trying to take on the development risk of building your own facility if, if you can find one to lease and every market different but in Oklahoma City at least I know on the industrial side good luck and the timing is getting a lot longer yeah Yeah, exactly. So that's an interesting part. But to your point, that cycle will turn. You just don't know what causes it to do so. But construction prices are definitely creating consternation. It'll also be interesting to see if increasing construction costs, if they continue, when that does put a crimp on development. Because small businesses can still only afford to pay so much in rent and stay afloat. And they're experiencing inflation for those folks not only in their professional world but in their personal lives too so they're getting pressure from both sides and that to me is kind of the interesting fundamental to watch is how much can lease rates go up and people will still pay it in our marketplace it's hard and i think one of the things that jades me just owning my own weakness here is that because i am a lifelong resident and investor I am used to seeing tenants pay pretty low rents or want to pay pretty low rents and trying to compete on that front. It is evolving and our market is maturing and growing up in a way that as a child of Oklahoma City, I never would have thought would have happened. And so that evolution has really eroded my knowledge uh, of what to do in the marketplace, uh, which is, is concerning. I'll adjust. It's just that's part of the reality you have to acknowledge if you're going to play in the market right now.
2: And the, you know, those small businesses don't always you know, move prices like they should with deflation. Oh, yeah. They, they Whether it's just their day-to-day, they're busy, they don't think about it. You know, they're paying 20% more for their food costs, but they didn't raise their prices at all. So then all of a sudden, when it comes to pay rent, they're like, well, where's my rent money? That's so, right.
3: Anything else you'd add
2: market-wise, Ethan, that you see? On the retail side, it, it seems to have bounced back pretty well. Kind of hit a soft spot there for a while, but it seems to no one was building, so that helped. Now we're back filling spaces that were hadn't been a lot of um, rent push, no rent increases on the renewals and things of that nature. But we're starting to fill space again, so that's good. There's a ton of everybody knows retailers, restaurants chasing pad sites, drive-throughs are popular. Go figure. Yeah, things of that nature. So, but on the retail side, it seems to be a pretty solid market right now. Yeah. That's great. Well, as we end,
1: let's do tell some stories if there are any ones interesting. I think stories are a great way to reinforce kind of everything we've talked about. We've had stories that are not great endings. We have stories on here that are great endings. So you guys can pick a few if you want and share them as we wrap up here. And Scott, you're you're involved as well. You, uh, have, I wanna, you I wanna, have
2: plenty of stories.
3: No, I know, but I want to hear, hear these guys' stories. Well, I've got one
2: story about a really good client who, you know, missed a deal on the 11th hour because he had a space that wasn't put together Decided to white box it, get it ready and and then turned around and leased it within a month. Happened to be this gentleman right here, as we were speaking earlier. So <laughs> <laughs> Which one was that? The little one on the Tyler leased on the street down by the airport. We had that lease ready to execute.
0: Yeah, he's a tough guy he, to
2: convince. In the eleventh hour and that guy walked because he didn't think you could get the space ready in time. That's right. Per our conversation earlier.
3: No, that's exactly right. But for the record, I could have gotten that space ready in time. He just, he 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 doubted me. me. (laughs) And and that's a good thing too. That's a really good point. Tenants who are savvy in that regard have dealt with people who can't deliver. Mm -hmm. And so as somebody who can execute, you pay the price, which again is all the more reason to reemphasize that point. You cannot... I cannot uh, sort of overemphasize how important it is to get a space to a point where a tenant feels like they can occupy it. Because essentially with construction constraints, deliverables, the thought was, there's no way you can get it finished in time. And no matter how much assurance I gave them that we could do it, that I had the pieces in place and could go, we couldn't get it done.
2: And as a broker, you know, we we probably dropped the ball a little bit, we should be able to step in and convince the client on the other side, look, we know this guy, we know how he moves, what he does and... Convince them to get it done, but this is a broker. We we have to be the the middleman. Sometimes say, look, trust me, it's going to happen. Yeah, right. I know it looks like it's ninety days out, but Scott will knock it out. So. Yeah.
0: What What about you, Brett? Do you have a great story? I will say my favorite part of the job is walking into a space for the first time. Yeah. In industrial, I just love it. It's amazing to see how people are operating their business, they're moving their goods, what they're making, how they're making it. I I just love it. If I could walk into a new space every day, I mean, my life would be fulfilled. I will say, I do love, I love the local success stories too. We get to see that a lot on the industrial level. I mean, I'll never forget 10, almost 15 years ago, we did a lease with a tenant. I was representing the landlord um, and this tenant, you know, a couple of local guys started a business and they leased 4,500 square feet from this landlord. And this landlord's one of the biggest owners in the state. He has millions of feet, you know, it's just another deal to him and we are able to get it done. But you, know, you fast forward, I think it was five or seven years and the tenant that leased 4,500 square feet buys the 260,000 square foot building. And now they have, I don't know, the last time I checked, I think they have like 400,000 square feet across the city. Wow. I love those stories. I mean, we've seen several of them. I mean, there was another guy, again, we represented a landlord and um, he came in at least 24,000 square feet and had to open it during the holidays and it was a rush. And he did everything but sleep in the space and he pulled it off. And now again, I think he's in four or five buildings and half a million feet. I mean, it's, it's really fun. I love seeing those local success stories. And I was an entrepreneurship major in college. So I always love, you know, seeing how people are living their passion and and building the business.
3: Yeah. I agree with that. I think from the landlord side, it's kind of the same thing as the wealth management business. Honestly, one of the great joys of being in our business, all the people you get to meet and the stories and the things that they've accomplished in their lives. And, And it's, you know, it's weird. I have a term for it. It's ordinary exceptionalism. It's these people, they're never going to write a book about any of the people that we work with, odds are. And a lot of people, if you got outside Oklahoma City, if you get outside their family in some cases, don't know their name, but what they've accomplished is absolutely extraordinary. And I have deep admiration for it. You see the same thing in the landlord business. You see tenants in all kinds of operating businesses, in all kinds of industries, just fighting the fight every day. And I've had tenants over the years that had started out in as little as 1,200 square feet. And the next thing they know, you know, you're the, you know, they're calling you on the phone and saying, you know, do you have 10,000 feet? And, you know, I'm like, no, well, we got to leave then, you know, and, and, and it, it's weird because you hate to lose a great tenant, but you're also really excited for them. I mean, it's, it's fun to see good people win and Oklahoma City's got a lot of great people and watching those small business owners succeed. I think that's my favorite part of the business. And I, I'm glad this took a positive note because I could tell great horror stories too of, you know, dealing with terrible tenants, but those are the ones that stand out, but they're not the most common. Yeah, you know, most of the time you get the good experience and you've got great people who occupy spaces and that you guys are doing deals with. And it's fun to watch them win. Yeah, I know we've got
0: several clients who, you know, will show up to closing and they've got a gift for whoever's on the other side. I love those transactions.
3: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Both
0: sides can win. It's a win. That's man. okay. Yep.
3: Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: I agree with that. And to piggyback on that, it's, it's always shocking to me that there's so many different ways to make a living. It's amazing. Like yeah. you, You're like, you do what? You sell what? Yeah. And there's people super successful and you, you would never know what it is they do or how they do it or how
3: they got into it. And
2: it's it's amazing.
3: Well, we work with a lot of those people. I mean, we see people all the time that you've never heard of that what they've accomplished quietly is just incredible. It's and amazing
0: what happens behind those
3: walls. I know it.
2: Yeah.
0: I never drive by an industrial building now and not wonder, I wonder what they do in there. Yeah. And, and you never know from the outside.
2: And even the tech companies, that's what's great about our industry. 99% of all business uses a commercial building. Whether it's storing a server or having a warehouse or having a retail store or having an office building. Everybody in the United, well, in the world uses commercial buildings. So that's a great part of what we do.
3: Yep. Any last thoughts or nuggets of wisdom? Hire a specialist. I like that one.
2: Allow us to give you real expectations.
3: Yep.
0: Hire an expert and listen to them. It's good advice.
1: Guys, I really appreciate it. Thank you both for joining us. Scott, thank you for being a part of this as well. So there's a ton to take from this and encourage everybody to take it to heart. Again, thank you for your time. Appreciate you guys. Thanks
3: for having us. Thank Thanks, you. guys. Appreciate it. All right.
0: If you enjoyed today's conversation, please review and subscribe through your preferred podcast platform. Have a great week. All opinions expressed by the host and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Full Sail Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Full Sail may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.